recently and um we were talking about the conferences and, and going back and doing things and i said well the it's fine and i'm happy to do all these things but the problem is it's not you know i'm on the other side of the ocean i'm in a different zone it's not like taking a flight down or driving down somewhere you know i've got to i've got to basically um leave my part of the world and you know spend a few weeks there to make it worthwhile yeah. and i think it's uh, just one of those things for the last few years i've had one foot in the united states there's another in europe there's another in australia but um london seems to be the, the hub of it for now anyway yeah you don't have many bigfoots there do you well we do have reports we do have lots of reports which um which is very strange it, um it's strange that we should have them i did a whole section of it on it in my book piece of britain and it was i was astounded to see how many people claimed at least to have seen something uh manlike and hairy roaming the british isles yeah my my wife is from there oh is she yeah yorkshire oh sheffield <laughs> sorry oh Yorkshire lass. She's a Yorkshire lass. She's a Yorkshire girl. That's yeah, that's what she's saying. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I get it. I understand. I grew up in Wales. Um, I don't sound very Welsh. Probably not to my wife anyway. And a little, um, little bit, she said. A little bit. Um, from an Irish and English family crossover. So as far as the Welsh are concerned, you don't get to join. No matter how many hundreds of years you do, you never get to be Welsh. That's their sort of thing, you know. So, uh, yeah, so the, I think the British were all a bit of a, a mix, a hodgepodge of even ethnic Brits. You know, we're all a mix of something along the line somewhere, some Celts, some Viking, some Saxon, yeah. you know, and so on and so forth. Like, I um, I wanted to talk to you for a long time. We we were uh, we so, were neighbours. I remember at the, um, the Cryptid Con 2018. I believe. Yes. I yeah. was talking to my wife about that. And I'm, I was tr trying to remember where it was that we met. Mm. But yeah, you're right. Crypticon. That was it. That was it. And I was just, uh, well, first of all, I've got one of your lovely t-shirts I've kept to this day. It's still, <laughs> it's still uh, done that from time to time. I was really astounded at that time, anyway, to find all these different reports in the United States outside of you know the Pacific Northwest that classic area where we we expect Bigfoot should be mm -hmm. I was thinking to myself well how how could this be how are there Bigfoots elsewhere and of course Kentucky is this very vast area with lots of wilderness so you know, I thought I'd just get a bit of a debrief from you on on the kind of work that you guys are doing there and and some of the sightings that you're encountering. Sure. Um, <clears throat> do you want me to start now? or, or have Yeah, no, I'm recording. Sorry, okay. uh, Charlie. Yeah, I just <laughs> go straight in. <laughs> There's no yeah. intro. No editing. Yeah, it is, you know, it's essentially, it's, um, how do I put it? It's it's, uh, it's a, like an exercise in nepotism. You know, just talking, just chatting, shooting the breeze. Yeah. People like mind. It's better that way, just to be relaxed. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you this, um, I, I'm no expert, you know, I'm educated. Um, I've been doing research for over, over three decades. 
taking eyewitness reports and going out in the field almost almost weekly, almost every weekend I go out. Um, so I'm just basing a lot of this uh, knowledge on what I think Bigfoot is and how it came about and why it's in Kentucky. And one thing I talk to people about is, um, you know, a lot of animals came from Asia across the Bering Strait land bridge, you know, when all the continents were connected mm. and they dispersed across North America. Um, and now they're kind of landlocked in Kentucky and Tennessee and West Virginia. And we, we have, you know, thousands of reports on this side of the con uh, the United States. So, you know, Bigfoot is a, a living, breathing, reproducing mm. hominid like ourselves that's adapted over thousands of years to elude us, to avoid us. And I like to say they have a high environmental IQ. Mm. So, you know, they're the ninjas of the forest. When we get out of our vehicle, you know, they know we're there. You're not going to sneak up on them with camo and flashlights and even hunting dogs. Uh, they're too smart. Uh, so I think when we approach this, uh, we go out and we just act like happy-go-lucky campers and hikers, play music, uh, sing songs, uh, laugh, yeah. and they're, they're curious. And that's their biggest weakness. You know, they want to know what we're doing in their living room. So they'll come in and check us out. And as long as we're non-threatening, um, having a good time, we sometimes have great interactions with them. Wow. And how do you, is there some way that, because uh, I know you sometimes organize large groups as well as, as part of that um, natural environment, I suppose, presenting that um, curious spectacle. How do you go about monitoring the area, trying to capture evidence, peripheral evidence of these creatures possibly coming in? The the easiest way is through vocalizations, because you know you could capture vocals from hundreds of yards away, um, and they don't have to be real close to do that. Mm. So a good digital recorder uh, with an omnidirectional mic or mics, which pick up any direction works really well. Yes, you can use a parabolic, but you, you kind of, you've got to point that in the right direction. Yeah. Um, but the vocals are the easiest to catch. It's, you know, it's hard to catch a glimpse of one. Tracks are even hard to come by. Uh, so vocals seem to be the easiest way to communicate or record some of their uh, behavior. Mm. That makes sense. And, and as to um, as far as uh, getting camera footage or uh, flare footage of these creatures, do you normally have the, the camp staked out? Um, no, what we'll do is we'll keep a thermal imager mm. with us because they, you know, it picks up heat and we don't believe they can detect that. Mm. We a lot of us believe they do pick up the IR from a, uh, uh -huh. a night vision mm. and. I'll give you an example. I had third generation military issued night vision once, and my buddy had uh, a cheap pair. <laughs> and I can see his IR beam 
going through the woods with my really? knife. It looked like a flashlight. That makes so much sense. And if they've adapted and they're, you know, they can see at night, probably, maybe, um, maybe they can see that IR beam. And that's another reason they stay away from game cameras. Because mm. if a game camera is constantly shooting off an IR beam and they see it, they're not going to go over there. So um, we kind of use thermals. And when we think one's close, we'll, we'll break it out and start scanning the area. Uh, sometimes we cat capture glimpses of some. Uh-huh. I, we caught some in Tennessee once of two juvies or juveniles belly crawling, which a lot of us believe the younger ones go down to all fours quite often, Mm. more than the adults. It's a long story, but I think we jumped two on top of this mountain and we turned and videotaped what looks like two hominids belly crawling. I mean, you can see arm over arm, you Mm. can see the rear end, uh, the face, there was no muzzle. So it wasn't a bear, it wasn't a deer. It was a round head. Oh. So that's one thing you got to look for, you know, to rule out bear, coyote, deer, is you look for a snout. And if you don't see a snout, that's a good indication it's a person mm. or a Bigfoot. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's um, that's fascinating to me, what you said about the, the IR being seen. I mean, that's very, very interesting. It makes so much sense when you think about it. And... Uh, I've had this idea for a long time of essentially switching back to, to analog cameras at some in some description and linking them up to um, a little trip wires and traps and the rest of that stuff. Not an original idea. I'm sure other people have tried it, but to gain more success mm-hmm. in that respect, because I've always suspected that they can see these cameras that my old view used to be, well, you know, the forest is kind of like their living room. So if somebody comes into your living room and moves a couple of books around, you're going to notice that. Whereas to everybody else, it doesn't know your house. It just looks like a couple of books. And that's mm-hmm. maybe how it is to them too. Maybe that's true. But could this game cam you know, issue with the RB be the real clincher? Is that perhaps the real missing detail here of, of why we're failing to capture them? Yeah, that's a great idea because... I have a gentleman in Kentucky that captured five photos Mm. on a game camera, amazing photos. And his game camera was one of the old ones that Mm. used just a flash. Okay. So maybe you're right. Just go back to the old, old school game cameras. Something about that. Something about that. I mean, you know, could it be a get out of jail free card possibly to explain (laughs) why we can't capture them? Yeah. There's always that issue, you know. And what do you think about um, uh, what do you think about the, this convergence of dogman sightings? And I understand there are some in Kentucky as well, and Bigfoot sightings. Is there do they occur in similar areas, or is there a territorial separation between them? Or what are your findings in regards to that? I've I've got them here in Kentucky, and they're in the same areas. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting about that is. I'll give you one example. There's a a dogman report I I took years ago. And the story goes, she was a a senior in high school. And uh, she was living at her home with with her parents. And her boyfriend was living with them. 
And prior to her sighting, the mother had dozens of cats, you know, that would roam around the property and and they all went missing within a couple of weeks. Wow. And one evening they're watching a movie and they heard a cat scream in the backyard and something hit the back of the house. So he got up and looked out the back door with a flashlight and he saw two large eyes, like almost eight inches apart, giant, um, you know, that, that yellow glowing eyes that you mm. get a lot above a stump. And he, he told his uh, girlfriend, come here, look at this. And she came out and it ducked down. So he took his hand, he hit the side of the house and it popped up again. Uh. And he said it did it multiple times. And when he told me this, he mentioned the stump. When I got out there, the stump was five feet tall. Wow. It wasn't a short stump, but it was a, a large stump. So that happened about a week or two before she saw it. She's going to school in the morning. This, it was still kind of dark out. Mm. She had a security light on her house that shone down the dirt driveway. And she's walking to this, the school bus, which is through the woods, basically, because this is Kentucky and a lot of people live out in the woods. And, and she's walking down this dirt driveway and she hears a commotion on the right. So she stops and this hairy bipedal creature comes out of the forest onto the driveway. And when it did, she let out a gasp. like, oh. And it turned and looked at her and it snarled. And she said it had a muzzle, it had pointed ears, the legs looked bent backwards, uh, looked like a man that worked out a lot, but covered in hair. And she just froze. And then the creature sprang off the driveway and she could hear it running away. And when she couldn't hear it any longer, she ran to the bus stop. She, she got to school, told her boyfriend uh, what had happened. And she drew a sketch of it, which I love because mm. it's important for a witness mm. to document everything immediately. Mm. And so she just drew a sketch of it. And what's interesting, she sent me the sketch. The sketch doesn't really look like a dog man. The muzzle was not that pronounced. It was shorter. The ears were on the side of the head. A little pointed, but not on top. Like a lot of dog men, the ears are on top. Mm. Um, the legs didn't look back, bent backwards in her sketch. Um, it looked it looked almost like a Bigfoot. Huh. So I'm wondering if some of these are um, misidentifications, because some Bigfoots have that prognathism, like a chimp. Mm. So they have that little extension of the jaw. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of times we don't see the ears on a Bigfoot, but maybe in this case she did see the ear on the side of the head. Um, so I think it's interesting that sometimes Dogman Bigfoot could be could be one in the same in some cases. Mm. I've wondered about that for a while. Is it um, a different, at least the ones that have um, humanoid form, not with the, the legs bent backwards, for example, if it is a, a variation on the species. I know people like Lauren Coleman have written in their books about perhaps some of the dogman stories being related to a giant monkey type species like you get in Asia and South America or the Salvaje or 
personality or the Cardan and the Himalayas, which is a tailed monkey that's supposed to be five or six feet tall and occasionally attacks people. And and could we, especially that baboon-like features, looking at these creatures, especially in old Europe and where all these werewolf legends come from, have mistaken these creatures for a dog-like creature, you know, instead of a, a primate? Or again, another get out of jail free card, Charlie. But, yeah. Um, you know, I often I wonder about this. Oh, is it just a different type of Bigfoot? Now, recently I've been thinking a lot about different types of uh, descriptions of hairy hominids around the world. You've got that European woodwoes or Almasti type, which seems to be more Neanderthal like, and that Manate type in North America, which is a lot stockier and larger and as well as the Yeti and, and others and do you see something like that there in the US let's perhaps exclude the dog man which could be a different thing for now do you have Bigfoot reports like you say with uh, that have more of a uh, prognathus um, a sort of type of muzzle or a, a larger frame or a more man-like appearance is there a variation in the encounters and, and sighting um, sightings that, that are described to you um, I will tell you from my own experience, and I, I mentioned this in my presentations, I've documented over 400 reports wow. in, in, over, in over three decades. I'll, I have quite a few that are close encounters, that are daytime close encounters, where the witness gets a really good look at the face. And every one of them, the witness describes a wide hooded nose. A nose like ours, but flatter yeah. and hooded, not like a gorilla. Yeah. Lips are thin, usually large, squared off teeth. The large eyes, you know, the heavy brow, the receding forehead. I mean, more of the sagittal crest, mm -hmm. uh, typical thing. But what's interesting is a lot of them tell me it looked human-like. Mm. Not didn't look like a gorilla other than the the sheer size of it, mm. the bulk and the, the hairiness and the yeah. hairy, the muscle. They can see the muscles through the hair. I get that a lot. Massive, um, anywhere from seven feet to even ten footers. Uh, we got reports here in Kentucky of some large ones. So they're they tend to be bulky, strong, massive, um, flat faces. Not really the prognathism, mm. more flat. Um, hair mostly around the face, like hair, like Patty, wow. you know, the hair okay. comes up under yeah. the eyes. So the, the hair covers a lot of the face. You get that a lot. Um, you know, the difference between Bigfoot and the Dogman, other Dogman reports, the Dogmans tend to be about six foot tall, thinner in build, still muscular, but, but much thinner, not as bulky, more the extended jaw or, or snout, uh, Bigfoot's that I've documented. You don't. They don't see the ears. The ears aren't noticeable. Um, I think just because they're covered with hair, you know. But but yeah, a lot of these are human-like. Fact is, there's a report I took um, of these these teenagers would go out on the weekends for joy rides in the country, and they were hungry, and. They wanted to go get some food, and they knew a friend of theirs that they said, well, if we go knock on her window to her bedroom, she'll go get us some food. Uh -huh. But they said, don't, we can't pull up in her driveway because the dad will shoot us, you know. Okay. 
<laughs> so they said, let's pull down the pull down the dirt road and uh-huh. we'll walk up to the house and knock on her bedroom window. But they told Jack, the one boy, you stay in the truck. Uh-huh. And Jack didn't want to stay in the truck, you know, by himself. Because this is a remote, you know, there's no lights. Uh, there was a full moon, uh-huh. uh, so you could see pretty clearly. That's somehow worse sometimes. Yeah, it's, it's like, <laughs> oh, that's kind of creepy. You can see. It was an older truck, so nothing, you know, no no electronics, no cell phones back then. Mm-hmm. So he's by himself in the dark. And they left, and he's sitting there, and he's he can see across this field, and he sees a figure walking across this field. And he goes, oh, man, I, I hope it doesn't come my way. Please, ah. please. Sure enough, it comes across the field, it gets on the dirt driveway, the, the dirt road, and starts walking towards his truck. <laughs> and it's getting larger and larger as as it approaches the truck. And when it gets right up, right up in front of the truck, he can see from the moonlight, this was no man. Mm. This was a monster covered in hair. And he just laid on the horn. And when he did that, the creature squatted down, took one hand, and was scraping the gravel with one hand like you would picture a gorilla would do, you know, just kind of. And then Jack, <laughs> he slid under the steering wheel down in the floorboard. <laughs> and when he did that, it got real quiet. So he said, I'm sitting there. I'm shivering. All of a sudden, I hear a smack on the windshield. And I look up. The creature's arm <laughs> is pressed against the windshield, the entire windshield. He said, I could see the the perspiration glistening mm. between the hair from the moonlight, the sweat as it was pressed against the yes. window, the windshield. Then I looked over to the driver's window, and this face took up the entire driver's side window. And he said, "Oh my gosh, my heart stopped. I, I you know, this fear, dread just came over me like I've never felt before." But then he said the craziest thing. When I looked into its eyes, it did not look evil. It did not look mean. Um, a sense of calmness came over me. Uh, it did say, you know, it looked kind of human-like, had the wide hooded nose, but, but, but still covered in hair. And he said the sense of fear went away. He goes, but, but when it opened its mouth and you could see the saliva spread between the teeth, <laughs> he goes, then I realized, okay, I had enough, and he reached up and he put his hand on the horn to scare it away, and luckily, it ran off. Wow. I mean, that's that's just a terrifying encounter, and I think you must see this. When I talk to witnesses sometimes, you can tell those who've really, really seen something, they're almost traumatized. It's almost a PTSD-style recollection every single time the same event if there was a a street light broken or that was out or some odd detail that they noticed within the encounter that doesn't make any difference to the story they'll always repeat it again and again in that same um in that same order and it just it's fascinating to me fascinating to me and those are the kinds of stories that sort of keep me coming for the genre you know yeah they could be a possibility of such discovery um 
talking about Bigfoot, you know, of course, the 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 North American Bigfoot, especially that in the U.S., it's it's the one that's known all around the world, and and people often complain that there's not really enough evidence to support its its presence, you know, its its, its um existence. What is the best evidence that you've seen for Bigfoot in Kentucky? Well, in Kentucky, we have one of the largest cast collections of footprints and handprints. A gentleman by the name of Thomas Shea, he's a researcher. He's, he's collected all these casts, uh, happens to be where he lives almost. And Cliff uh, Berkman and Dr. Jeff Meldrum have a copy of these in their collections. And they, they vouch for them as legit cast from a large you know hominid and you know that's a great um uh, you know piece of evidence there but then if you add in to the vocalizations which we've captured i've captured some vocals right there on his property mm. hair samples that he obtained from that same area sent it to dr meldrum and it came back as the gold standard for sasquatch hair you know, the okay. real long course, mm. there's no cellular medulla, you know, in the center. That's right. Yeah. It matches typical Sasquatch hair found else, elsewhere that we think is Sasquatch hair. So you add up all this stuff, you add up the tracks, you add up the vocals, which I recorded. You, you can listen to them on my mm. website. They're amazing. The hair, the dozens of credible eyewitnesses in, in that area and other areas. We have basically everything but a body. Mm. And as you say, this is you know, this is part of the um, the forest ninja mo, really, isn't it? That these creatures must, I would assume, have some form of burial or perhaps even a place that they go to to die. Lots of animals do that. Mm. Yeah, I suppose if they have close family units in the same way that chimps and gorillas. Uh, may have that they would indeed perhaps take care of the dead in some way that I mean, that makes sense to me and i know the forest can eat up um decaying animals very quickly but something like a, a sasquatch would be seen at some point it would have happened yeah that uh, we've yeah. seen a, a decomposing or you know recently deceased sasquatch if they weren't hiding themselves away or, or burying the dead uh, what are your thoughts on that is there any witness sighting that that sort of corresponds to that that family um uh that familial burial or taking care of, of, of the deceased well I, I can give you some examples um i've been hiking miles off trail in areas where there's been bigfoot reports and found large burial burial mounds of rocks mm. above ground but larger than what a human would be Mm. And they're they're obvious to me burial mounds, but I'm not going to disturb them, you know, out of respect. It could be Native American, it could be mm. what have you, but but they're massive. Um, there's other reports. Um, I, one example was in Kentucky where someone hit one with a vehicle, and EMS showed up and ushered everybody away. Really? Except a couple of people went around the woods <clears throat> and were watching them dig a large hole and this big hairy creature 
they're pushing it into the hole. And Tom Powell from California, he wrote it in his book, The Locals. He said, man, can you guys go back tomorrow and let me know what you see where they buried this creature? And they go back and it was gone. Wow. It was just, okay. it was dug up. Like, so did, did um, some of the family of the Bigfoot, you know, did they come retrieve it? Uh -huh. Or, you know, did the government, does the government know? And is there a government cover up? Um, so we don't know. What, what department of the government is EMS? Sorry. Uh, that's um, like uh, emergency, uh, like, okay. like an ambulance. Like okay. They, they tend to accidents and people that so are subject injured. disaster things and whatnot yeah okay that's interesting a lot of people talk about this um government knowledge and, and bits and pieces like that i've tried to think for a long time what the purpose of that could be um you know and, and i'm not equating it to this in any sense but somebody recently was talking to me about this flat earth theory and i i said what would be the benefit to them of hiding that from us that the earth was flat instead of round. I mean, how does it benefit them? It doesn't benefit anybody to make it you know, something hidden. I wondered about that with the government as well. In what way would it benefit them to to hide the presence of of this animal from us instead of, especially with modern day environmental movements being as they are, mm -hmm. it, it would be something beneficial, you know, to perhaps you know secure more land and and uh, usher in this great. <coughs> this green wave of environmental policy. So what are your thoughts on that? Um, I, I kind of think that the government, if they admitted to this, if it's true, then they would have to protect that land, like you say, wow. which I hate to say it's, it's more about money. It's more about progress and not protecting the lands um, in the United States. Um, logging and things like that yeah exactly so wow. if they would if this creature came out and this creature had feelings and emotions and was human-like and mm. oh my gosh we would have to protect everything and then it's competition for us do we build us do we build a subdivision with houses or schools or do we leave the forest for the bigfoot and mm. then they're direct competition with us so that's one possibility the other possibility is I've got a report in Kentucky at Fort Knox, which is a, a military base. And it's, it's for, for all purposes, it's a deathbed confession of them killing four Bigfoot on this military base in the woods. And they were taken back and they're debriefed and had to sign non-disclosures. And they had like a protocol in place after they killed these four creatures. So, if this is something that's happened mm. a few times where, where they've killed these creatures and that came out that they actually killed them. Oh my mm. gosh. Nobody would be happy. Oh, I mean, it would definitely be with classes of protected or uh, species that should be protected, a rare species at least. And the, I think um, as, as many sightings as we have, they're still few and far between essentially. It's not something that most people see in their everyday life, even when they live in such areas for 50, 60, 70 years. So I, I think that makes a lot of sense. Now, what I, I was, and I've asked somebody else this today, actually, and there's a great sort of cult-like trend around Bigfoot, which is fantastic. I love it. I love the conferences. I love the whole 
the documentaries, everything that goes with it. But many people think that this is detrimental you know, to, to the scientific research of the creature. And then it it pushes science away from the subject because it's, I suppose, it's a pop culture phenomenon at the same time as an actual discipline. So, so what are your thoughts on that? Is it good for the subject in that it brings more people to to consider it who would never have thought of it before? Or, you know, it does, does a new balance need to be struck in order to get a few more scientists on board? Um, I, I always think that um, the commer- commercialization of Bigfoot, the uh, commercials and, and uh, products is a good thing uh, when you see Bigfoot everywhere. And I always joke that if, when Bigfoot's officially discovered, he's going to want royalties from everybody <laughs> using his name <laughs> and likeness everywhere. But um, no, but I, I think it's a good thing. The only thing that I think that hurts us are the hoaxes that are out there, the videos that are people are constantly hoaxing and vocals and um you know, it, I think that hurts us. But I do think we're making more progress with academics coming on board now, supporting the notion that this hominid does exist. There's a lot of well-known ones like Dr. Jeff Meldrum, Jane Goodall. Uh, you know, there's a lot of them that support it now. So I think it's gaining more momentum, but it, nothing's going to matter. I mean, we've got DNA, we've got... Mm hair, photos, we've got vocals, casts. It's going to take a body, ultimately. Dead and or alive. Day, yeah, dead or alive. And yeah. and then that's going to prove it. Um, but until then, there's too many hoaxes that ruin it. Hmm. And I think uh, part of that, from my perspective, is that if people have... Sometimes I think they're just regular researchers that have given everything to that a particular genre and yet social media has brought on a daily demand for content and at some point one or two individuals slide on that slippery slope of producing content you know, mm-hmm. when it's become their their, their one and uh, everything or their career but I, I do believe there's a chance that it could become an animal that's part of the natural order in the same way as the giant squid was once the kraken of old and it was uh, silly to think that the 100-foot-long squids lived in the sea somewhere. And yet the body started to wash up. And finally, in the last few years, we, we obtained not only physical evidence, but evidence of them in their environment, and which is amazing. Who would have thought we could do that? And now you don't think, wow, a kraken. You just think, oh, transquid. It's the normal part of it is part of the natural order. And I wonder if that could happen to Bigfoot eventually. Well, we say, oh, yeah, you know, I just went down to the local zoo and saw X, Y, Z, or I, I went on a Bigfoot tour where there's a local family, or you know, there was a stuffed specimen in the museum that we looked at. And it's just a natural thing, nothing special, you know, 50, 100 years from now. What do you think the chances of, of that happening in our lifetimes could be? I think it, there's a good chance um, because, like I said, there's more people on board there are more researchers now than ever before. There are more cell phones and cameras and drones with thermal imagers. Um, so I think it, I would hope in my life, our lifetime, they would be um, recognized by science. 
and then we could protect them. I, I don't want one in a cage, um, but I do, I would like to protect their habitat and maybe study them in a humane way, learn from them. There's, pro there's probably a lot we can learn from them. <laughs> hmm. um, you know, but I'm sure. Yeah, so yeah. I, I do hope that that's the case. And you know, I tell people this, the human race is like a, a speck of sand on, a, on all the beaches in the world in terms of time. You know, they think we've been here forever, we haven't. And we've overlapped other hominids. Like there's been seven different hominids in the last 50,000 years. Mm. Seven different hominids, including us. Some of us, we interbred with. Like we just learned we bred with Neanderthals and Denisovan. Mm. We have that DNA in us. We just learned that. We don't know everything. We're learning more more about, about the different hominids and the structure. And um, I believe Bigfoot's another one of those, a relic hominid that's, there's too many reports from credible witnesses. Oh, yeah. You know. Uh, All so, around the world. Yeah, everywhere. And, you know, it's funny I say everywhere, but, and I always bring this up about the people that get into the woo or the, the Bigfoot mm. can cloak and uh, go through portals, which maybe it does. I don't know. I don't have the answers. But I bring up the, the point that in Hawaii, there are no Bigfoots, okay, no Bigfoot reports, because Hawaii, Hawaii was formed by a volcano. It wasn't part of Pangaea of all the continents when they were connected. Now, you know, when all the continents were connected, it was easy for animals to move around and disperse. And when the continents separated, then you had the animals that were and people were dispersed everywhere. Um, so I, I really think that um, I hope that in our lifetime, it's recognized by science so we can say, I told you so. I would, <laughs> I would, I would love that. I, mean, I think that would be amazing. You mentioned Hawaii, actually, and there, there is the story of the Manahune, of course, but I would investigate that a little bit. For all intents and purposes, they seem to be a, a pygmy people mm -hmm. of a sort. At least the people that appear to be pygmies to the, the large Tahitians who took over. And um, I think they, they even appear on a census or something in the 1800s. Oh, did they? Um, yeah, so, so I got how, how many people were uh, said to be Menahune at that point. A lot of people think they're the, the previous inhabitants of the island, who were just basically taken over by the big, strong Tahitians and uh, you know, became like a suborder of people. Um, talking about the woo and the paranormal thing, and, and you mentioned that that comes up a lot. and. I always say to people, look, um, as a researcher, I'm looking for animals. You know, if something is supernatural, paranormal, it's outside of my remit. That's not to say that there isn't some crossover where it's debatable what the thing is exactly. But generally speaking, once it's outside of the um, uh, zoological uh, paradigm, it's, out, it's outside of my remit. I'm not, no longer interested. But I've had a theory for a long time that the reason... We sometimes imagine that these creatures are have supernatural powers is because we can't find them, and they can they can hide well in the forest, and their fur with all these different grays and browns and beigey sort of strips all over the place is perfect camouflage. Yeah, and perhaps that's that's something of our ego saying, well, yeah, I couldn't find it the last forty years, but I've come to the conclusion it's a supernatural creature. Yeah. Like, I wonder if there's a psychological you know, element in play there yeah it could be um 
Lauren Coleman mentioned, we should not answer one unknown with another yeah. unknown, you know. Exactly. And if you look at animals, you could look up, look at cryptid coloration, which we know animals, there's a lot of animals like chameleon and other animals that blend in, even change color yeah. to their environment. And if you look at their hair, um, I have an example of one in Kentucky where some boys were fishing and a large branch broke from a sycamore tree with a Bigfoot creature on the branch, fell into the, the river. And the boys jumped up from the dock, ran around the woods and watched this, it was a white Bigfoot actually, swim arm over arm. Uh -huh. And then it pulled itself up by a branch, got up on the bank and ran off. And they said during that report, the hair looked dry. The hair oh. was blowing in the wind. Okay. So maybe it has some properties, uh, oils, and maybe mm. it's hollow. It could refract light or, uh, you know, or absorb light. Translucence. Yeah. Yeah. There could be some yeah, weird absolutely. properties to their hair yeah. that they have learned or adapted, you know, to help them blend in. Makes sense to me. Absolutely makes sense to me. And as far as infrasound and, uh, as you say, this alleged cloaking, again, could be part of the translucences, considered even if, and we don't have an example of that in any other primate, but even if they were able somehow to change colour, well, you know, the first person that ever dived below the ocean and watched an octopus mask itself against a rock, not only imitating the shape, but the actual colours, must have thought that was a magical power of some kind. Yeah. You know, it's not a magical power now. We understand exactly how it works. Yeah. And yet, that's an amazing thing. Um, who knows what attributes these creatures could have. Again, lots of get out of jail free cards, sorry, but <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Um, just, I mean, just, just to wrap up, I just wanted to spend the last segment talking about the mission of the Kentucky Bigfoot Organization. What are you guys planning? What are you up to? And what do you hope to achieve as an organization? How can people get involved? Um, I would love to establish laws to protect them in Kentucky. And I, I mentioned that when I give my presentations and mm -hmm. I've had people raise their hands. Why do you need to protect them? They're doing just fine. I said, well, they are, but their habitat is not. Their habitat is dwindling. You know, deforestation, urban sprawl, logging. They're they can't reproduce pretty soon. I mean, they're they're going to be landlocked in certain areas. They can't hop on the freeway and drive to another state to find a mate. So there's only so much inbreeding you can do <laughs> um, where they're not going to be able to reproduce, and the numbers are going to dwindle. So if I can establish laws to protect them and then protect the forest where I know they're at. I've got some spots in Kentucky. Mm. I'm 100% sure I've got too many credible witnesses. I've got more just the other day from the same area, from people that were driving through Kentucky, had a sighting. They had no idea about all the sightings I have there. And, and I just add that to my database. And wow. um, if I get to the point, maybe before I die, I want to go to the officials in this area and say, here, here are all my reports, mm. all my interactions. I, I want you to take this serious. I want to do a full investigation and, and maybe establish laws to protect them. Oh. Uh, it's tricky because 
some of these places are state or nat or national parks. Uh-huh. And, you know, they don't want that stigma or that 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 attention from a large creature that could kill people. Mm. Although I don't think they do, but you know, they they don't want to embrace it. So I'm worried I'll, I'll get a lot of pushback if I approach them. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, um, some people have suggested something like that here as well for the big cats in the UK. And that there are so many uh, reports, I mean, the thousands of reports now, that there's some sort of ongoing denial of their presence. Because if they acknowledged they were here, they would have to do something about it in a sense of you know, a mop of the problem or at least uh, make laws to protect them. Because we do believe that there are, they've become you know, third, fourth, fifth even generation in this country now since the 1970s. Maybe that's something similar with the US as well. Also here it's very difficult to get laws enacted. Now, first you need a petition with 100,000 signatures before it's debated in Parliament. And then if Parliament say, yeah, OK, let's vote on that, they vote ahead, it goes to the House of Lords. And if they like it, perhaps, maybe it would um, come into place. And of course, most countries that you can't protect something in law that has not been proven to exist. Right. That's, you know, that's the issue. Um, that's the issue. I'm not sure how it works in the US as well. So just very quickly to wrap up, thank you for you know spending the time with me today. And it, it's, it's great to catch up again and all you work. Just tell people where, where they can get in touch with you and how they can get involved. Um, the easiest way is through our website, KentuckyBigfoot.com. Uh-huh. And then the Facebook, we use social media a lot. That's a good way through Facebook and Instagram to share reports, share evidence you may have found, uh, not only in Kentucky, but elsewhere. Um, I've I've taken reports in other states, other countries. I've taken reports. So if you have a, a report that nobody else believes, I'm all ears. I want to hear it just just as you do. And uh, that's one of the things I enjoy doing. I enjoy interviewing witnesses, and um, I get to live vicariously through them. Yeah. So submit your report. Uh, come come to one of our expeditions and. Get out in the woods with us. That's always fun. We have a great time. And we hope, you know, hopefully soon we'll go visit the UK there. Um, oh, yes. And yes. my wife's well, family's well, there still. If you, yeah, exactly. If you come by, we'll definitely take you out to a few few places, a few lovely haunts around, um, where allegedly, uh, it just in the very same way as I received US Bigfoot reports, they seem to be reporting very similar creatures albeit on a smaller scale it seems but yeah strange woodwows that's the old name in the uk for those those hairy creatures that people believed inhabited the island you know in the mid- medieval period who knows um i won't keep any longer charlie thank you so much for joining me today and i suggest everybody gets out there and and logs on and there's merch there's kentucky bigfoot organization merch which i would be wearing if it wasn't so cold at the moment you'd see my t-shirt and uh, yeah, get involved. Charlie, thank you so much. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Bye. Good night.